Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son? And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now as we... Look to this text. This text is going to seem maybe just a little familiar. Uh, this is the exact text that we were in last week, and and this morning we will get through the rest of chapter three. We will we will get through this part of the narrative. But just to recap what we saw last week is as possible to recap all of that information that we gleaned from from one verse in the text of scripture. Yes, what we saw last week as we looked to verse 1 uh, was that God is establishing this Old Testament office of prophet, this Old Testament prophetic office. And God is establishing this office uh, for a very particular purpose. Uh, this office um, would be the office that, that God used, first of all, to coronate the kings of of Israel, God would coronate the kings through this office, through Samuel with Saul and and David, and through the prophets. Then God is preparing the throne of Christ within Christ's creation, and that's the part of the narrative that we are in. And as we as we see the story unfold with Samuel, we're going to see Samuel hear from God for the for the very first time. As a boy. And this prophetic office is going to be established, and Samuel is going to be confirmed as a prophet of, of God. What we see in, in verse 1 before we dive into the rest of the text is that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and visions, which is another word meaning 
words from God were also infrequent. They were rare. And the reason we discovered last week that this was, that this was the case is because God had not yet ordained a, a prophetic office in Israel. And so there wasn't this one man who had this position officially in Israel to declare the word of the Lord to the people. And that's simply what what verse 1 is getting at. We look back up to chapter 2, verse 35, and we see a promise that was issued by, by God, the Father. And God said, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. And there, before this next part of the narrative even unfolds, God is already taking the credit. God is already assuming this responsibility. This is my work, says the Lord. I will accomplish this, says the Lord. This is my will, says the Lord. I am working all things together, says says the Lord. I have chosen Samuel. And we'll see that being worked out in this part of the story. I have chosen Samuel. And I will call Samuel. And Samuel is this priest whom I have chosen to do all that is in my mind and in my heart or in my soul. And that's essentially what we gleaned from verse 1. As we look at verses 2 through the end of the chapter, we're going we're gonna to see this text in two parts. First of all, we're going to see uh, verse 2 through, through verse 18. And we're going to see that in this section, Samuel is confirmed as a prophet. And then we'll look at verses 19, 20, and 21, and and we will actually catch a glimpse of God's role in the ministry of His own Word. Often we see the ministry of of God's Word as explicitly the ministry of of the teaching elder or the pastor or the group of elders, but here in this text we are going to see that this ministry of God's Word, it is explicitly in the Scriptures a ministry of, of God. This is His ministry and the work that He is doing. First, we'll look at verses 2 through 19, and we'll read this first part as Samuel is confirmed as, as the prophet of Israel. Verse 2 reads this way, It happened... At that time, as Eli was lying down in his place, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. It's, it's, it's a statement regarding Eli's age, right? Uh, he was advancing in age to the point where his eyes were beginning to fail him. That's the first thing we see in this verse. He could not see well. In verse 3, And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. This is a a statement of time. In Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 3, we see that in the temple that there were to be these lamps, what we would call today a menorah, right? A lamp with, with seven arms or six arms stretching out from the main stand, seven candles on it. And this lamp was filled by crushed uh, oil from olives or, or oil from crushed olives. And, and it was to burn continually from dusk until dawn forever, continually, regularly, every night. And so this statement in this verse is basically just telling us that, hey, this is happening at nighttime, between dusk and between dawn. That makes sense. This is when people are normally sleeping. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And so this is one room. And I think if we were to look at a map, this room would be adjacent to the room that the high priest would stay in. And so two different rooms. So we begin to get this mental picture in our head. There's two separate rooms. And Samuel is lying down in one room next to the ark of God, the ark of the covenant. And Eli is in another room in a different part of the complex. Verse number 4. As Samuel was laying down in the room where the ark of the Lord was, that the Lord called Samuel and he said, 
here I am. This is the first time we see God call out to Samuel. And he's doing so in a way that is verbal. There are some commentators who think that maybe this voice was coming from the Ark of the Covenant, but the text doesn't point that out explicitly, so we can't know exactly where this voice was coming from. What we do know is that Samuel is hearing the word of the Lord. Now, this verse is very, very difficult to translate. I went and looked at the Hebrew, and the verse is very difficult to translate. The Hebrew pointings aren't as clear. Most commentators seem to think that it's Samuel responding. We imagine laying there in bed, and you hear this voice, right? And it's, I picture it like Samuel is, is half asleep, half awake, or maybe he was dead asleep. We don't know. We know that this is at nighttime when people were sleeping. Uh, but you hear this voice. You've heard stuff while you've been laying in bed, and you've sat up. What is that? Is it, I don't know what this is? Uh, And then you don't hear it again, so we don't know if we hear it in our dreams or while we're awake or in this weird state when we're half asleep or half awake. So I imagine this is what's going on with Samuel, and and he hears this voice, and most commentators seem to think that it's Samuel replying to this voice that he hears, saying, Here I am. Now in the Hebrew, when you parse this out in the Hebrew, word for word, in order, remember in the Hebrew there are no punctuations or pointers of, of, of that sense. And we read chapter 3, verse 4, and literally word for word in the Hebrew it reads, And called Yahweh to Samuel and said, Here I am. And so while the translation of that verse is very difficult, and most commentators seem, seem to think that this is Samuel responding to God the first time, still the explicit language seems to indicate in the Hebrew that God is the one calling out to Samuel, just saying, here I am. And no matter which way we translate this, the interpretation is the same, right? God calls to Samuel. Samuel responds to God as if Eli is the one calling on him from the other room. We'll move on to verse 5. Then he, this is Samuel, ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. Okay, remember, Eli is just as asleep, just as tired as Samuel is. This is the dead of, of night, right? So this being Father's Day, I can't help but think of conversations that I have with my wife where she goes, it's going to be so weird. And I say, oh, what's going to be weird, baby? She's thinking about this stuff, and I, it's just far from me, but she's thinking about this stuff. And she said, it's going to be so weird. And what's going to be weird, babe? And she, she says, the first time Elijah figures out how to crawl out of his crib and walk in here and stand over the bed while we're sleeping and go, Mama. <laughs> or, Dada. It's, it's going to be like a horror movie, all right? So Eli here laying in bed and Samuel, this kid, he has, he's raised this child, right? Uh, Eli has raised Samuel. Samuel is still a boy according to verse 1. And here Samuel comes into Eli's room. Did you call me? <laughs> no. Go back to bed. <laughs> Go lie back down, right? I did not say anything. You're creeping me out, son. You know, something to that effect. Of course, we, we see the first part of the verse too, right? Where Samuel maybe immediately went, here I am. Like he hears Eli calling him from the other room. And when Katie calls me from the other room, my first response is, yeah. And then, that's not a practical way to communicate. Let me just walk in here. Babe. What can I do for you? You know, <laughs> sort of, uh, so it's not hard, not hard to imagine that either. But this is sort of what's going on in the text, and I could not help but read this text. And as I'm reading this text, I'm just laughing. I'm like, "Yep, I feel you, Eli." <laughs> so this is what's going on in the text, and this is sort of the story that's that's going on. The story that we read. He ran to Eli and said, "Here I am, you, for you called me." But he, Eli, said, "I, I did not call." Lie down again. 
So he, Samuel, went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. And so Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli's he hasn't quite fallen asleep yet. He's at that point where he's almost fallen asleep. And, he, and Samuel comes back in and wakes him up again. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But he, Eli, answered, I, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Lie down again. So here we see that, that God has now called, called Samuel. Samuel didn't recognize the voice of God. Samuel, he is, in today's terms, he's, he grew up in church. He lived at the church, right? He grew up in church. He did not recognize the voice of God. And the next verse, we're going to read that Samuel didn't even know the Lord. And we'll get at what this means. But this ought to cause us to begin to think, right? We think that we are a religious people. And we think that we are a fairly churchy people. And we think in some ways we've, we've got this thing down. And I don't know how old Samuel is at this point. He's, he's still a boy, but he spent most of his life in church. And God calls out to him, and he does not recognize the voice of God. And in fact, it seems to sound a lot like Eli in Samuel's, in Samuel's mind. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. Samuel, at this point in the story, right? Samuel, he's, he's been serving God in the temple. He's been serving under the high priest, Eli. He grew up in the temple. Now he knows the things of the faith. But look, Samuel is not really that spiritually aware. His mind isn't even on it. Right? Samuel is not seeking out God. Now we know from a previous text that, that he is somehow working out the faith before he knows God or before the Lord had revealed himself to Samuel. So in some way God was guarding him in this respect leading up to the moment of his coming to know Christ, coming to know God. In, verse, in, verses, in the verses following verse 7, Samuel, he's not... He's not even thinking about spiritual things. He's living and doing, ministering to the Lord before Eli, but his, his mind is far from these things. For Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. And this, this morning, this just... It draws our thoughts to this, this same question. How, how many of us in our lives, whether in church or out of church, we're living and we're doing and we're here because we see church as, as this good thing that we, we probably should do or probably need to do? Or, or how many parents right, think to themselves, oh, I have a family now. Maybe we should get involved in church because that would be great for my kids. And it just becomes this, just this going, going through the motions and there's no, no life. We realize we're like the boy Samuel. Well, I grew up in church and while I was growing up in church, I thought the whole thing was a joke. And just because you're in church doesn't mean you know God. Just because Samuel served the Lord for years doesn't mean he knew God. The Scripture says here pretty plainly, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Yet the Lord was guarding his steps. Yet the Lord was drawing him to himself. Yet the Lord was calling Samuel. Yet, even though Samuel didn't know the Lord, God was still saying, I am raising up a priest. 
to do all that is in my mind and in my soul, in my heart. So God is, is working this out, drawing Samuel to himself. Verse 8. So, Samuel is back in bed. So the Lord called Samuel again a third time. Eli is almost asleep. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. This has happened three times now. There must be something to this. You know that moment you think you hear something while you're sleeping, so you tell your ear up and your head up, and you listen, and there's nothing. This time, it's the third time this has happened. It has to be something, whereas we say, okay, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get the shotgun and go check this out. You know, Eli says, oh, I see what's going on here. I see exactly what's happening. And Eli, verse 9, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he, the Lord, calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. In his place. Eli... Eli, to our knowledge, has not heard the Lord like Samuel is hearing the Lord. In the text, starting from chapter 1, verse 1, leading up to this point, we never see the Lord talking directly to Eli. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 27, we see that God actually sends a prophet to speak to Eli on his behalf. Eli has never heard the audible voice of God to our knowledge. Yet, because of his experience with prophets, at least one prophet in chapter 2, verse 27, he is able to discern what is going on and he is able to pour into the child he has been raising as his own son and say, Son, this is what is happening. This is what is going on. Next time, when God calls to you. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is, is listening. So Samuel goes back and, and, he lays, and he lays back down. Oh, the experience that Samuel must have had. Hearing the Lord three times, not able to distinguish the voice of the Lord, and then hearing from someone who, to our knowledge, has never heard from the Lord that the Lord is speaking to you. What an experience that not many people get to experience. And this was particularly in this text, as God is establishing this Old Testament prophetic office. We get to verse 10. Then the Lord came and stood came and stood and called as at other times Samuel, Samuel and Samuel said speak your servant is listening we see that Samuel he was was chosen by God Samuel's called by God. God here calling Samuel in this text. And Samuel from this point forward to our knowledge follows God wholeheartedly, does all that that is in God's will, does all that is in God's mind and in God's heart. What's amazing to me is that in chapter 2, verse 26, we see, we see that Samuel is actually already actively working out this faith. To see, he grows in stature before God and men. And we talked about exactly what that meant when we were in, in that particular verse of Scripture. That's like God has chosen 
to do this work. And he was bringing Samuel along with him according to his own will. That even before Samuel knew the Lord, he was working out the faith and so he was chosen. And here in this passage, he is called, and we see the sort of a logical order of salvation, right? You are chosen, and then you are called, and those who are called follow God with at least the intention of doing all that is within the Father's mind and soul. This is the example we see with Samuel. Verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone who hears will tingle. And that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Verse 13, For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Now, we saw Eli rebuke his sons concerning one of their sins, the sin of adultery. But he did not rebuke his sons concerning the specific sin of idolatry, concerning the sacrifices of the temple. In fact, we we see in chapter 2 that Eli, he was partaking with his sons in this sin. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Verse 14, the Lord speaking to Samuel, telling Samuel to go tell these words to Eli. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is a very a very intense verse for us to consider. A verse that is almost tempting to skip over because not only does it say that Eli's family won't be able to offer sacrifices, but it says that they won't be atoned for forever. Now we learn something in the passages leading up to this one about Eli and about Eli's sons. We see in chapter 2, verse, verse 12, that Eli's sons were wicked men and that God actually desired to put them to death. It's the explicit wording of the text of Scripture. We see in, in chapter 2, verse 25, that Eli is actually participating with his sons. We see in chapter 2, verse 29, and this is actually where we see that Eli has participated with his sons. In chapter 25, we see that the sons of Eli wouldn't listen to his correction because the Lord desired to put them to death. And in Verse 12, we just see that they were sons of wickedness, sons of Belial. And here we see that Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, because of their sin, because according to the text of Scripture, they were reprobate. Atonement, nobody would be able to atone for their sins forever. Of Christ is the final this this is devastating, first of all. I mean these these men they're going to die in their sin. And the child, Samuel, is being told by God to go tell this man who raised him, essentially the man he saw as his father. Dad, you are going to die in your sins. Atonement will not be made for you forever, either through sacrifice in the sacrificial system or presumably by the final sacrifice, Jesus Christ. I mean, we ask the question, right? Did Christ die for everyone? 
And this text seems to be perfectly clear. That your house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. And this, brothers and sisters, is where we get into this this doctrine of of limited atonement. Not that the atonement of, of Christ is limited in its effect, but that the atonement of Christ is limited in its extent and its scope. There are individuals, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, as explicitly described in Scripture, who just are not recipients of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's blood on the cross accomplishes absolutely everything that it was meant to accomplish according to the will of God. And so we see in the text of Scripture that God sets the destiny and the path of every person from before the foundation of the world according to the book of Ephesians. But that still people are held as responsible for their own actions. And if you haven't been able to to catch the sermons leading up to this one, let me just invite you, go back and watch those because we actually took the time leading up to this text on purpose, intentionally, just because we're following the direction of the Scripture, and the Scripture does that, right? Um, So not intentional on my part, but intentional on God's part. His plan is better than mine. But if you haven't seen those sermons leading up to this one, please, please go back and watch them or read them. Because we have to understand what God is doing previous to this text, preceding this text, in order to understand this thing that God is doing here, because this verse, verse 14, is difficult. And it's not difficult to teach or difficult to understand. It's difficult to accept that atonement wouldn't be available to them forever. They would die in their sin. They would not be with Christ. And the boy Samuel had to go to them and, and tell them this. That God doesn't joke around, right? And God uses children to do amazing things for His glory. Verse 15, so Samuel, I imagine he didn't get much sleep. When I asked Katie's dad if, if I could ask her to marry me, He might be watching this right now. I don't know. Hi, Dad. Happy Father's Day. When I asked him if I could ask Katie to marry me, you know, he asked me a couple questions and, and said, Well, uh, I'll let you know in the morning, but don't let it keep you up at night. <laughs> oh, it kept me up at night. I imagine Samuel lay down and he was like, How am I going to tell this to the man who raised me? So Samuel laid down until morning, verse 15. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel said, Here I am. Here I am. Eli said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Eli's anxious. I'm sure he's a little excited. The son he raised is hearing the voice of the Lord. What did did he tell you? What did he tell you? Uh, I don't want to tell you, Dad. Please do not hide it from me, Eli said. May. And then Eli... May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. Don't you hide anything from me, son. (laughs) Tell me. I want to know. Verse 18, so, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli 
this man who is reprobate, this man who is going to die in his sin, and, and now he has heard this from the child he raised. He said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. There was no repentance. As far as we can tell, there is no remorse. We may be able to extrapolate some kind of feeling of guilt if we try really, really, really hard to do that. But here Eli is, the high priest, as church as church gets. No repentance, no remorse, no humility. Hearing the word of the Lord. And there is a sign of submission to a degree, right? It is the Lord. He recognized God's sovereignty. He knew this much about God. He recognized God's sovereignty. And he recognized God's holiness. And there was, in some part, submission to God. But there was no repentance. Okay, it is the Lord who said this. Let the Lord do what seems good to Him. And that's it. How many people do we have in our churches that are like Eli? Right? No, no, no repentance. We're just at church because somehow this is a good place to be because we want our children to be raised in church. But there's no heart of repentance. Let us examine ourselves this morning in light of this text. Verses 19 through through 21, we see three very real things concerning God's role in the work of His Word and the ministry of of His Word. And I just want to... I want to read through these verses with you And we'll spell these three things out for you. We've seen through this text God's sovereignty in all things, especially regarding salvation, right? The destiny of all people. And and even with Samuel, the path of all people. And if God is king, and if God is sovereign, And like we see with Eli and Eli's sons, even though he is speaking, this is general revelation, even though what can be known about God can be clearly seen in His creation. And even though God speaks, people are deaf. Even though God's message, His Bible, is being preached from thousands if not millions of pulpits this morning during this hour it is God who has the final say in the ministry of his word oh this is humbling for me only the Holy Spirit can carry this word forth with power to where it affects people's hearts Verse 19, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord let none of his words fail. Samuel's words fail. Oh, man. See, we're considering now the, the prophetic gift in the Old Testament where God would speak here audibly to Samuel and Samuel would go and transmit that word to the audience that God intends. The New Testament gift of prophecy is just a little bit different, right? It is still speaking the word of the Lord, but God has provided His word and the canon is closed. And so the modern day gift of prophecy is the the preaching and the proclaiming and the teaching of the Holy Word of God as it has been given. But here in verse uh, 19, notice, God is the one who guards the words of the preacher and the teacher. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, you, you mean this doesn't depend on my knowledge or my skill in, in hermeneutics, interpreting the Word of God? You mean this doesn't depend on whether or not I have a, a master's degree or a PhD? You mean the declaration of God's Word doesn't depend on my oratory skill in theology. They actually call that homiletics. It's not important. You don't have to remember that. I just couldn't get the word out of my mind until I said it out loud. You understand what I'm talking about? Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. It is God, brother, teaching Sunday school when we do stump the elders at the end of the month, when I stand up here and am subject to the mercy of God and the proclamation of His holy word, it is not Andrew Cannon who gets the words right or correct. It is God explicitly who keeps words from failing. That is so humbling. We want to somehow remove supernatural power from preaching and teaching. We can't do that. If we are the ones teaching, our words fail. It is God who must guard our words. We must submit to Him. Elders. Pastors. We want to be good teachers. Yes, Focus on learning more and more and more and studying more. We are forever students of the Word of God. And we pour over every text in, in prayer. And with study, trying to understand what God has said. And it is toilsome for us. And the conviction is more than you can imagine from week to week. And no matter how much conviction you experience on a Sunday morning from hearing the Word of God proclaimed, I promise you I experienced ten times as much in studying the text. I can't get it all out. Aren't you glad? <laughs> the Lord saw it to, that Samuel's words didn't fail. And as we, as, as we start the teaching moment, the preaching moment, what I call them, the moment of truth... We're just subject to the mercy of God that He would guard our words. That's it. That is it. That's why people come to the church at sunsets. <laughs> That's what you get, and I'm not going to apologize for that. We begin in prayer, and we end in prayer, and we pray while we are preaching and teaching. Verse 20. All Israel from Dan, not a man named Dan, but a territory, Dan, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Why? Because his words did not fail. He spoke the truth. We know that this man is from God because what he says comes true. That was the test of a prophet. We discovered that last week, right? And if a prophet spoke something that wasn't true, what did the law say must happen? They must die. Samuel wasn't dead yet. He was confirmed as a prophet. Old Testament prophetic office. If I get a detail wrong, please don't stone me. (laughs) Samuel was confirmed. Greg Heisler, in his book, Spirit-Led Preaching, started the book, well, it was like page 11, so not quite at the beginning. But he started the book by asking this question, Where did we get off track with regard to the supernatural, especially the Holy Spirit's involvement in preaching? Gosh, if the Holy Spirit isn't driving this, then people aren't really preaching and teaching the Word of God. We are... And this doesn't just apply to the, the pastoral office. And I don't think this just applies to the, the office of the Old Testament prophet or the office of elder in the church. I think it applies to probably everything that we do. 
in service to God. God chooses us, elects us to salvation, calls us into relationship with Him. And as we are following God, serving God, God confirms us in the role that He has for us. Many of you know that in, in January, I just God was laying church planting on my heart. I said, God, let me just let me just submit to you and whatever doors you open, you open. And three months after that, we're sponsoring a church in Monrovia, Liberia, and now we're planting campuses off that church. I don't know if you knew about that part of it. That is awesome. God is beginning to open doors in, in Tucson. And this has just become a major part of my personal ministry just because, God, let me just walk through the doors that you are opening and it's happening organically. Like I'm not even trying, right? I'm not even devoting that much time to it. It's just sort of happening. But God confirms us in the roles that He has for us. And if we are serving in a role that God doesn't have for us, He won't confirm. It'll become painfully obvious to us that we're not to be serving in that role, right? Verse 21, the, the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. How, how did they know that the Lord appeared? I'm glad you ask. Because the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. He didn't tear open the clouds like a scroll and say, Hey, through His word. God reveals Himself by the proclamation of His Word in the Old Testament, by this Old Testament prophetic office. In the New Testament, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, through Jesus Christ and through the explicit Word that Jesus Christ has inspired through all time. Then it was through the prophets. Now it is through Christ and Christ's Word. And Scripture is so clear on that. God reveals Himself not by walking in the room and saying, Hey, how you doing? I'm here. It'd be so cool if Jesus just walked through the door. I would step man, I would step down. But no. God says, I have revealed myself. I have revealed myself in my word. In my Word. John, John chapter 10. We begin to see the power of, of God's Word and God's, God's role, even described by Christ during Christ's preaching ministry. We want to know where the power has gone when it comes to the preaching and the proclaiming of God's Word in church today. In Acts chapter 2, Look, the church, the church body, the local church, was committed to the teaching of the apostles, biblical teaching, expository teaching, the teaching of the apostles, breaking bread, fellowship, into the prayers. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the scripture says that they were doing this day by day. Man, do you ever feel like... This, it's time for self-inspection now, right? It's time for the conviction now. This is the point of the sermon. You ever feel like the power of God is just gone? Or like God is an evident to you? God, where are you at in my life? God, where have you gone? We read in First Samuel, God reveals Himself in His Word... We read in Acts that people met day by day to sit under the teaching of the apostles, which is the exposition of God's Word, and there was great power in their midst, right? More and more, more and more people are just avoiding the church meeting, not sitting under the good and correct preaching of God's Word. And more and more People just feel lifeless in their lives. Just going and doing like the boy Samuel before the boy Samuel came to know the Lord. John chapter 10. 
verses 22 through 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. It's like a, it's like a colonnade with a cement, concrete roof overhead and the columns on the side, and he's walking through this portico. We don't have buildings like that today. What happened to those kinds of buildings? He was walking through the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense, Jesus? How long will you hold back on the information you're giving us? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I did tell you. I told you explicitly. I said I was the Christ. I said I was one with the Father. I I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these, these testify to me and who I really am. And you've, you've even seen the works and you don't believe. The miracles and you don't believe. The signs and you don't believe. Jews here under this portico asking me these questions. Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. This is like what we saw with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. This is reprobation because you are not of my sheep. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. The call. Samuel heard God's voice. They hear my voice and I know them. Why? Because He has chosen them. And they follow me as a result of this. There are no exceptions here. Jesus doesn't give an exception clause to this. Verse 28, And I give eternal life to them. Who? My sheep, whom I call, who hear my voice, and who follow me. All of those necessarily following from the previous logical thing. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is grace. It's the only way they can describe what's going on here. This is just grace. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me. Not those people whom I knew beforehand would accept me. No, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. This is what we're seeing in 1 Samuel. And Jesus is teaching it explicitly here to a bunch of Jews who don't even believe. Right? And who won't, who won't believe. Is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then He says it again explicitly. I, I and the Father are one. You want me to tell you explicitly and not hold anything back? Well, here you go. So we have many people, religious people, Christians and Muslims and Jews and Hindus and Scientologists and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who are living and doing. But they do not know God. So the only question that we can ask in response to this text, 1 Samuel chapter 3, and then augmented by John chapter 10, right? The only question that we can ask in response to this text is this. Am I just churchy? Or do I actually know Christ? Am I actually a sheep? Because brothers and sisters, if we are chosen and called and come to follow Christ, this is like a sheep following a shepherd, right? It's all-inclusive. A sheep doesn't, doesn't do anything but follow the shepherd. We have so, so many people, part-time Christians, 
go every once in a while. Spirituality, they may be involved with the Christian community or go to church or have said some sinner's prayer or have gotten wet. It's not baptized if you're not actually saved. They just got dunked in some water, right? But spirituality is far from them. The cares and concerns of this world consume them. They are living and doing. In, in the context that God has placed them in, yes. But like Samuel, all of this is far from them. And then I don't care if people are pastors or imams or rabbis or any other kind of teacher or right spiritual gurus, masters on the subject. God hasn't chosen to call you. You're not saved. You don't know God. So we don't mistake our religiosity or our doing good for life in Christ. And furthermore, if God is revealed through His Word, and please, please hear me on this, and if, and if you're not in church this morning, you may be watching online or we'll see this video later, right? If you're not in church this morning, I'm not condemning anyone. I don't have that kind of authority. But if God is revealed through the proclamation and the teaching of His Word, then our participation in a healthy, Christ-centered, Bible-teaching church body, not building, body, is the most important activity we can possibly be involved in. You want to know why God isn't evident in our lives. You want to know why God isn't evident to us or through us. It's because He has decreed that He is revealed through the proper proclamation of His Word. And if we're not sitting under this Holy Spirit-gifted, Holy Spirit-led, Holy Spirit-empowered preaching and teaching of God's Word, then God is not going to be evident to us, in us, or through us. Period. This is what the Scriptures tell us. So, those of you who have family members, this isn't in my notes. The Spirit is leading me to say this. Those of you who have family members who aren't in church, oh, my heart goes out to you. I desire that everyone in our community experience God as evidently as I get to experience God. It really is amazing. Those of you listening or watching this video or who will. Let me just plead with you to sit under. It doesn't have to be here. But find a healthy, Christ-centered, Bible-teaching, local church. Participate. As much as possible. And if that means, like in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you all want to begin meeting day by day. Ooh. Look, we, God, God will convict us. He will bring us. He will bring us to do exactly what He wants us to do, and His sheep will hear His voice. And so we get this word out as many places as we can, to as many people as we can, on whatever media we can. And God calls His His people, brothers and sisters. Please reflect on these things. Please think about these things. But do you really know Christ? Or are you just churchy? Not the same thing. Katie's dad, one of my favorite preachers. If you're watching, you're one of my favorite preachers. 
<laughs> he did. He said yes. We're married. She's here. We have a child. One day he's going to crawl out of that crib. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> he would say it this way. Are you religious but lost? Valid question in response to the text today. Very valid question in response to the text today. Like Samuel, let us all be in a place where God is calling. And we simply respond by saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Those who are called do come to follow Christ. And it's all-inclusive. None of this part-time Christianity stuff. This part-time gospel stuff. We're either in or we're out. (laughs) Can't serve two masters.